Hey, Mystery Solvers, we have some great mysteries to talk about today. But first, we want to introduce you to another awesome podcast. Hey, podcast listeners, are you looking for something a little bit different? Then tune in to my podcast, We're All Mad Here. Join me, Rachel, as we talk about creepy facilities, some pretty questionable cures, as well as checking up on some famous and not-so-famous people who have dealt with mental illness in their life. Informative, scary, and with a little bit of sarcasm, if you enjoy learning about the truly crazy parts of history, you're going to love We're All Mad Here. Episodes come out weekly, and I hope you'll join us. I feel like I forgot how to do this. It's been a long time. Hello. Welcome. How's it going, Liz? Hello, Samantha. Hello, Five Nith List. Oh, my. See? It's been too long. We're already off the rails. We barely started. Hello, Five Listeners. Welcome. You are listening to Perhaps It's You, an unofficial rewatch podcast of the classic Robert Stack Is that, episodes. That of sounds like your late night telephone call voice. Yeah. <laughs> For all those late night telephone calls I make. <laughs> So many. So many. So hi. This is so unofficial. Just so you know. Very unofficial. Do Are we supported at, at all by Unsolved Mysteries? No, I'm pretty sure they hate us. No. No. Nope. I'm they... pretty sure there are one star rating. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I forgot. How, I'm sorry. I forgot how to do this. We took a whole week off, just one week. Well, we took technically two weeks off because we pre-recorded our holiday special. I know. So really, it's been ages since we've done this. So now, anything that we might have possibly learned... I've gone window. out the window. It's like we're starting over in 2018. We're back at the Brooklyn Park Library. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yes, happy 2018. You survived 2017, and that is no small feat. So nope. give yourself a pat on the back. We're here to talk about some Unsolved motherfucking mysteries. mysteries. Yes. Are yes, they solved? Are. In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. In some cases. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I was going to ask you how your holidays were, but no, fuck that. We're going to move forward. We're into not going to think about the holidays because people are until next year sick of that. They're I, sick I of it. think so. They're done. They're ready to start off a new year. And actually, I know who you, how your holidays were. So, and I know how yours was. So. Too bad everybody else. <laughs> do you have any updates though? I do have an update. Ooh, exciting. So, if you recall from episode ten, we talked about Anne, the negligee wearing. Shed witch. Oh, well, she was a witch, a voodoo priestess, and several other things, as I recall. Yeah, did she worship the devil? Was she a witch? Did she practice voodoo? These were the questions All we of had the above? based on a very inflammatory Unsolved Mysteries segment mm-hmm. that was not based on any facts and very determined to dismerch Anne's character. And one of the questions we have is, if she's a witch and worships the devil, why would she make this adorable yarn doll on her hu- of her husband <laughs> that he found on a pillow, supposedly, because there's absolutely nothing to confirm the story. But in our confusion of saying, is this voodoo, is this witchcraft, what is it? I learned that in witchcraft, it could have been a poppet. Oh. Which maybe everybody knows about this except me, but I didn't know this. I don't know what this is. Not a puppet, not a muppet, but a poppet okay. is a doll you make for witchcraft. Oh. So I'm going to read a little bit from a, an article I found on the internet, written and compiled by George Knowles. Okay. To teach us about puppets. 
Okay. A poppet is a lifelike figure or doll made to represent a person or animal and is used in ritual magic and spellcraft to effect change through the application of sympathetic or imaginative magic. Sympathetic magic works on the principles of similarity. It is based on the belief that someone or something can be magically affected by doing things to an object in one place that represents the person or thing in another place. To achieve this, a poppet is made as a representation of the person or thing and contains items associated with or belonging to that person or object. Once made and magically charged, any action performed on the poppet is thought to cause or affect the similar reaction on the person or object it represents. The use of poppets in witchcraft and magic is an age-old practice. For example, in more recent times, poppets have been negatively aligned with the voodoo dolls of Haiti, which through popular fantasy fiction portrayed in films and on TV are commonly associated with malicious intent, revenge, hate, or evil. Today, poppets are more likely to be used for protection, prosperity, luck, love, health, and happiness. However, as and when needed to be identified, they can also be used for banishing and binding to prevent harm. So basically, she could have made a doll that represented her husband. And they called it a voodoo doll in Unsolved Mysteries, but in reality, it could have been a poppet. It could have been a poppet. She could have been using that to hex her husband, or she could have been using it to bind her husband to keep him from hurting her. She might have been just making a cute Christmas ornament. Yeah, I mean, there's really no proof that any of this (laughs) happened at all. I just thought it was kind of interesting that this exists. And that it it wouldn't necessarily even be harmful. Right. Well, it sounds like in most cases it isn't. Right. In most cases it's not. The article goes on a little bit to talk about uh, the use of poppets by slaves. So you can understand why in that case, yeah, they would have been harmful. It would be sure. like death to my slave owner, right? Understandable. Completely understandable. Hex the hell out of them. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a very, I can't remember the name right now, but there's a interesting episode of... Fat Feminist, Feminist Witch, which is currently my favorite podcast, where she talks about problematic language in witchcraft, specifically when talking about black magic oh, and okay. how people sort of use that in a racist way. Hmm. And one of the things she talks about is how people sort of condemn the use of any magic for harm. But then it's like, if you're a slave, of course you're going to try to use magic to harm people. Of course. Right? So... I just thought that was really interesting. It was not something that... I can't do this. Samantha. I just knocked over the mic stand. I can't talk. I can't sit, apparently. I'm no longer a podcaster. I resign. I'm sorry. My last piece of information I give to you is make a poppet to bind Donald Trump <laughs> to prevent him from... Do- or just hex him and fill him full of pins. I don't fucking care. Uh, or to bind him from doing harm. Or to bind him from doing harm. If that's your, your thing. Yeah. We support it. Yeah. I'm I'm done. Goodbye, I retire <laughs> from the field of podcasting. The episode ends right now. <laughs> Me just storm. You know when celebrities get some ask some question they don't want to answer and they just like take <laughs> off the mic and storm off? That's going to be me right now. <laughs> no! I can't do it! This might be a, a, bumpy, a bumpy episode. We're going to have to get back into the swing of things, folks. Please, please bear with us. You've been so kind so far. I hope this isn't... What tips you over the All edge? Right, we're done with this podcast. Everything now. is now a one-star review. It's, Liz's voice is so shrill. Why is she always talking about politics? Stick to the mysteries. <laughs> that's you. By the by the way, that's how I think you sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have an exciting update. Oh, okay. 
at least I think it's exciting. Well, so I'm excited already. I logged into iTunes the other day because I wanted to change my iTunes nickname, which is the sure. name that shows up when you review something in iTunes. It was for the longest time just whatever default iTunes gave me when I made my right. iTunes account probably like a million years ago. Sam is the coolest was your name or something Yeah, like Sam is the coolest. 1999. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the name I got and was uh. very surprised to have gotten was Robert Stack. Yes! <laughs> That's amazing. So I thought really hard about leaving a five-star iTunes review for our podcast as a Robert Stack and not saying anything <laughs> and pretending like I didn't know anything about it, but I'm not going to... I might still do that to get like a cool Instagram photo or something, but I'm going to be upfront about the fact that it's me. <laughs> so that, that's all I have. I have been listening to this podcast from heaven <laughs> and I give it five, five out, out of five, five me's. <laughs> Because that's what Robert Stack would say. It is. I'm convinced I'm it. sure. That was my update. I was excited about it. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. I couldn't believe no one had taken the name Robert Stack. Well. Oh, um, next week is the Alcatraz episode. It's the Alcatraz situation. D-Day. We, we have a countdown on our wall. It's slowly ticking down the hours and minutes <laughs> until we have to cover Alcatraz. If you've been a longtime listener to the show, which of course you are, um, you'll know we've been dredging this since day one. Yes, but fortunately, friend of the pod, Rochelle, and our resident history buff is coming on the show to help us cover Alcatraz. I'm excited to have her on. I think she's going to make the episode a million times better than if it was just you and I. I think it would just be us, like, taking naps. Yeah. Because we were like, we don't want to talk We'd about We'd actually this. probably skip it and pretend like no one, like, no one would notice. Right. Like, let's see if anyone brings up the fact that we just skipped ahead <laughs> an episode. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Oh, yeah. So, Wasn't there one about Alcatraz? And we'd be like, I don't know what you're no, talking about. Is there? I, I have to go. <laughs> Look forward to that. Yeah, I'm sure we just really sold it. Should we talk about episode 16? Do Let's we have any other updates? Do I've got none. Okay. We are on episode 16. If you were watching along on Amazon, this is the case of Lester Garnier, who had a super cool name. Not a bad mustache. It's kind of like a baby wispy mustache, though. He's not my. Is he your pick for a mustache? He's not. Okay, but my pick is in this segment. Interesting. Mine isn't. Okay. Early morning on July 11th, 1988, a groundskeeper found the body of Lester Garnier in his car. The groundskeeper is my pick for MVM. Did you see his mustache? I I liked his mustache okay enough, but really the overall scene where he was peeking through the car window. (laughs) Yeah. And his, like, backpack leaf blower and his weird outfit. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I took a screenshot. You guys will have to see it on Instagram. <laughs> okay. I already derailed Lizzie. Yes. Barely what? got started. That's, it takes absolutely nothing to derail me today. So, Lester, dead, in car. <laughs> in parking lot. In parking lot. It was the backseat of his very cool 1984 Corvette, which made me write down, should I get a sweet 80s sports car? There's a lot of sweet 80s sports cars in this episode. I kind of really want one. That's that's what you can do with all our podcast money. That's a really bad idea because I don't know anything about cars and I'm sure they require a lot of upkeep. But I could just make Travis do it, right? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I'm sure he'd be happy to. Because I was like, maybe maybe this is the year I get a 1984 Corvette just like Lester was found dead in. That's what I was thinking about. All right. This was in an affluent suburb of San Francisco called... Walnut Creek. Garnier was an undercover vice cop. He lived near Concord and he worked for the police in San Francisco. They kept emphasizing that he was a bit of a ladies' man. 
and that he had an earned reputation of being popular with the ladies and such and such. They really wanted you to know that Lester got a lot of tail. I don't... <laughs> I, I don't Was know. that important? It, I, at one point wrote down, why is this so salacious? Like, he went out with a lot of ladies. I don't know. I, I guess like it was a, a different time, but... He seems like a handsome dude who had a sweet car. I mean, this was before Tinder, I guess. When, if you went on a lot of dates, you were uh, man, I mean, a man about town. I don't know. Had to, you had to actually talk to people, so that was considered weird. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Robert Stack described him as a walking contradiction, who was a dedicated cop, a family man, but also lived and loved in the fast lane. <laughs> Robert Stack. was that? All right. I wrote- anyway. I wrote down, when I die, I could only wish that a Robert Stack-esque character would say that I lived and loved in the fast lane. <laughs> like, that's a bad thing. It, it's not like, when they, he's, they say he was a, a family man, it's not because he had a family, it was like his, he was good to his parents. And yeah. he also went on a lot of dates. Like, I think Like, his, those are contradictions? I don't understand. I think his parents lived with him because he took care of them in their, his, their old age. He, they, he seemed very close to his parents. But he, and he also liked the ladies. Like also, those are two competing also, things. Samantha, you cannot take care of your parents and go on dates. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> those are opposing worlds. <laughs> I guess. How could he have a job, have parents, and have sex? You can't do three things. That's the real unsolved mystery. Over the course of a day. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit of a weird segment. Yeah, his reputation was well-deserved. Okay, we get it. We get it. Um, it also seemed like they made an emphasis about how he enjoyed going undercover to, like, get sex workers yeah, I, and I arrest wrote, them. I wrote down why. Like, so he was an undercover vice cop. He would pose as a John and then trick sex workers into getting arrested. And I was like, what's the point of this? I wondered the same thing. I also wondered how he could do this more than once. Because they said he often did this. <laughs> it's like, like the, like, you know, you would like turn to your friend and go, hey, watch out for that guy. He yeah. arrested me last month. Every sex worker you know in the city, you're going to tell them about this guy who poses Look out as for a yeah. Lester. He's got a wispy little mustache he has and a pretty, sports car. He was pretty distinctive looking. Like There was a, a shot where they talk about his beat was the Mission District of San Francisco. There's this hilarious shot where they're talking about his beat where 80s music swells and you just see sexy ladies' legs walking down. <laughs> it's the most 80s thing. It really is. Where it's like, these were women of the night. But they're also like... Gorgeous. Yes. They are <laughs> extremely beautiful, I assume, actress models that get hired from Unsolved Mysteries to pose as sex workers and walk down the street to swelling saxophone music. <laughs> and then you're like, oh no, San Francisco is so seedy. Look at these beautiful women in cocktail dresses. It's a it's a nightmare. <laughs> Anyway, what what were we talking about, Lester? Okay, so that's what Lester did. That was his job. Harassing sex workers. Harassing sex workers. He thought he was making the world a better place. I kind of question that, but it was the 80s. I don't know. Uh, He was also investigating a local brothel that was rumored to be patronized by other officers and civic leaders. And it was staffed with underage prostitutes, is the quote from the episode. Yeah, so that's, that's disturbing. Not how I would refer to them. But, no, but you know, I guess it was a different time. Victims, perhaps, victims, would be yeah. another way to, Under- to say it. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Underaged prostitutes, quote unquote. 
not not okay. No, no, they're not, they're not really. I mean, they I uh, guess. they can't consent. Yeah, so don't pay them for stuff. <laughs> yeah. So Lester was sort of directly or indirectly involved in bringing down a local politician from San Francisco who had been going to this brothel and turned out uh, raping underage girls. Mm-hmm. So was that connected to his death? Maybe we don't know. There were rumors that Lester was killed by a corrupt part cop in the department or this politician, Roger Boas, who was a mayoral candidate. Um, but those investigations didn't go anywhere. They attempted to find where Garnier had been the few, tw- like 12 hours before he died is unclear. Mm-hmm. He made a call to cancel some plans and didn't give an explanation from his car phone. And I the reenactment for that was great. I would love if you would get a screenshot of him driving his Corvette and talking on a phone with a cord. <laughs> because that's pretty great. The unknown from the time of his phone call to 1130 when his car was spotted in the parking lot. The authorities located a witness who was a carpet layer who worked in the building next to the parking lot. He th- said that he heard what he thought were firecrackers, um, but it was close to the 4th of July, so he didn't really pay attention and... Honestly, that would be me, too, because oh, yeah. the entire summer, people around here light off fireworks, and you could very easily shoot someone, and I would have no idea, in case you're wondering <laughs> how to so, kill, kill someone on my street and not have me as a, a witness. So the carpet layer saw two women leaving the area where Garnier was found the next morning. Um, another witness was driving by the parking lot and saw a woman very briefly and was hypnotized and made a composite sketch, and that all seems very suspect to me. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time of the original airing, the women had not been identified, but they thought that they would have to know something about his death. They found a fingerprint in the car that they believed to belong to the killer, and they offered a reward. In the update... They tell you that they found out who the fingerprint belonged to, but there was not enough evidence to press charges and that she had since been deported. That woman was a Scottish national named Catherine Kunz. Um, It was her fingerprints that were found in the car. She was actually in jail in Florida for a while based on a murder-for-hire charge Mm. that she had attempted to hire someone to kill her boyfriend. I believe, and I don't think they were actually a killer, and they turned her in, <laughs> something like that. She has since been released in June 2008, and she was deported back to Scotland. The San Francisco police tried to keep her in the country in connection to this case, but there wasn't really enough evidence to file murder charges, so she was deported. Um, both Lester's mother and father had passed away. Lester's mother, who's interviewed at Unsolved Mysteries, seemed so nice. And- so sweet. I'm really kind of sad about that. So there's not a ton of evidence for this case. The San Francisco Gate has written a couple articles about it. One was about this woman from Scotland being deported back and how the police had wanted to hold her but didn't really have any legal justification for doing so. The only evidence connecting her is that there's fingerprints in the car. People seem very hooked on the fact that she has been in jail multiple times for drug charges and is also a former sex worker. I don't know that that really points to anything. Lots of of people do those things and aren't murderers. Yeah, I I don't see what her... And nowhere in this do I see a motive for Mm -hmm. her killing Lester. 
I'm not saying she didn't do it. I just, that doesn't seem to, why? But I could see how people would be like, oh, she was a sex worker and he was arresting sex workers. Maybe that was the motive. That doesn't really seem like would she it kill even would have been that? the case. I, I doubt it. Would you kill a, a sex solicitation charge versus a murder of a cop? Right. Like that seems. No, I don't. That seems like a drastic. It doesn't seem like a motive to me at all. Reaction. Um, there's another article that they wrote called San Francisco's Coldest Case, a cover-up still suspected in the unsolved murder of a San Francisco cop. Which is basically saying it's weird that a cop was killed and so little was done about it because obviously usually those crimes are taken incredibly seriously. Mm-hmm. Either the police department hasn't released a lot of information about the case or they didn't do a lot of investigating. It's not sh- clear. Hmm. So the article is kind of speculating, like, was it someone within the police department that didn't like the investigation of this brothel? Was hmm. it connected to the mayoral candidate? Was there, like, some level of a cover-up in that case. I mean, this article, I can post it on Facebook. I'm not going to, like, go through the whole thing. It's a lot of speculation. Like, I don't see a ton of evidence that points to that. It's mostly saying it's weird not more came of this case, which, yeah, that does sound kind of weird. I also found, and I couldn't find any follow-up on this, I found this, like, ridiculously tabloidy article from Scotland. This is... This is the headline. This is not my word. Murdered vice cop's family demand truth from ex-hooker suspect. And it was about... Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is about how Lester's sister was saying she was going to fly to Scotland to demand answers from Catherine, saying that she wanted to know what his last words were and did he suffer and did he beg for his life. That basically... The police department was assuming that it was Catherine. His family was assuming that it was Catherine, but there wasn't really the evidence to prosecute that um, and that she wanted some answers. This is an extremely salacious tabloid article. I have no idea if it's true. And there actually, there didn't seem to be any follow-up to whether or not she actually went. I, I don't like, it's possible this woman did absolutely nothing and like every Google search ties her to this case and talks about her being like right a, a potential murderer a crack cocaine addict and a hooker and all that like she might have done literally nothing yeah and then this is saying this is like saying like her whereabouts and that the sister was gonna go yell at her i don't know it's oh my god if she had nothing to do with it it's very sad even the San Francisco oh the city of Walnut Creek on their website has like still even though she's not been charged with anything. This is what they have on their website. It's a photo of her, and it, it has her name, and then she's from Scotland, blah, 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 where she lived. And it's, it describes her as a known user of crack cocaine. <laughs> and then, like, her aliases and stuff. They she put this on their website? Yeah, this is on the City of Walnut Creek website. Oh, my God. W- why? <laughs> she's not charged know. with anything. She's not wanted in connection with this case. But she's, like, tarnished with it forever. That sucks. So hopefully she did it because (laughs) she's... Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, every time someone Googles her, that's what they're going to come up with. They're going to come up with known user of, quote, crack cocaine. Yeah. I'm very sorry for Lester, who seemed like an all right guy. Yeah. But I'm I'm also kind of sad for Catherine because everybody's just decided she's guilty. 
with no evidence. With, with literally a fingerprint on his car. Like, they could have gone on a date. Yeah. She could have asked him for directions. It, it could be anything. Right. She could have gotten, oh, this is a nice car, and touched it. Like, <laughs> I know. someone saw her in a parking lot, and they have one fingerprint. That's it. Yeah, that's not evidence at all. Well, that sucks. It seems to be that she had a criminal record. Now, supposedly she did try to hire someone to kill her boyfriend. That, weirdly enough, I only saw one mention of that. <laughs> all this other inflammatory stuff is just about her being a sex worker and a drug addict. Every, <laughs> no one else is talking about the fact that she possibly tried to hire a murderer. Which seems, like, <laughs> more inflammatory to me. Yeah, that's very odd. But, so I, I kind of wonder if that's even true, because I saw that one time. Yeah, huh. Weird. Well, right. That's Lester's case. The end. <laughs> okay. Well, now we can talk about Whee! the very sad story of Kathy Hobbs. Oh, we can, can we? We can. There. I will say this episode has a lot of true crime stories, which I, I did like. This one's kind of sad, though. I mean, well, most true crime stories are sad, but anyway. So this segment op- opens with some establishing shots of the Las Vegas Strip set to some rockin' 80s music. I loved that. It was yeah. great. Robert Stack says that the city is an adult amusement park and a glamorous capital of slot machines, blackjack, and high-stakes gambling. It's also the best people watching ever. <laughs> I bet. I've never <laughs> been to Las Vegas, but... That's I- what I, I recommend it for being able to eat at any hour of the day, <laughs> any type of food, and the people watching is... It doesn't get better. I need to go. So, however, one mile off the strip, Robert Stack says that there is another side of Vegas, a real world that tourists never see, ordinary suburban America. He just points out people do live in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's not just the strip. But anyway, on July 23rd, 1987, 16-year-old Kathy Hobbs was reading a romance novel in her bedroom, which I have to say, reenactment Kathy's 80s bedroom is amazing. I think that was her real bedroom. Do you think it was? Because they showed at one point a photograph of it when she didn't come home that wasn't the reenactment it was just like a still shot and oh. I think they really shot that in her bedroom her bedroom was adorable it was and I want so it cute at one point they showed the actress who was reenacting her on the bed doing one of those like yarn pillow things you yeah. know what I mean you, you made one of these as a child something. what's that called cruel is that what it's called I'm I not even know. sure but you pull little pieces of colored yarn through a net and it yeah. makes like a puppy face or whatever and then you put it on a pillow it was she had, like, adorable. the Teen Beat posters of cute celebrity boys up on the wall. Her and there mismatched was like, dresser with the doily. I loved everything about it. Just, like, little heart rainbow decals yeah. or, I don't, yeah. It was so I cute. I love seeing a teenage bedroom. Oh, my God. And it brought me back, to, like, she, they said multiple times throughout that she was kind of a solitary teenager who oh, liked to read. And I'm I, like, this was me. I related to her <laughs> so hard. I was like, is this my life? Can I die at 16 in Las Vegas? (laughs) So anyway, she's reading a romance novel in her bedroom. At 11 p.m., she decided to walk to the supermarket to buy another book. The market was just one and a half blocks away. Um, Kathy wanted to give her, before leaving, Kathy wanted to give her mother a kiss, telling her mother that she might stop to talk to other kids and may not be home before she went to bed. Kathy had made this walk many times. Her friends in the neighborhood often gathered at the neighborhood pool. It seemed pretty safe. It seemed like there was always people around. However, this particular evening, there weren't any kids around. She would usually, I guess, ask one of them if they wanted to walk with her to the store. This night, there just happened to not be anyone around, so she went by herself. It was really close. They said it was a block and a half away, so it seemed like she felt safe doing this at in the evening. Also, one of the cops pointed out that even though this was late at night, because it's Las Vegas... 
very busy. Yeah, there's still the store is open 24 hours. There's people coming and going to work at all times. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if I was walking around here at midnight, the streets would be dead. Right. No, but there it, was tons of activity. This yeah. is, it was in an intersection that was highly traveled. It was probably really well lit. I'm sure she had... Yeah. She, no so one probably felt unsafe at all about this. Right. Kathy's mom was awoken in the middle of the night by a strange dream in which she was hit on the head and immediately after felt at peace. Uh, kind of an odd detail. Anyway, the next morning, Kathy was not in her room. She had not come home. So I was pretty impressed with the police response to this. Yes, I wrote that down too, for once. I know. So the first day, police questioned friends and relatives and did an extensive media campaign on television. Which I assume means that like every every news they had station her ran up. her photos and yeah. she was missing all day long. This they was the first day. They didn't immediately go, Oh, she must have run away. Right? Like, right. They actually looked for her and I appreciate that they made the point about saying, like, look, even though she was out late at night, this was a busy area. Like it was very not victim blamey. It didn't say mm-hmm. she shouldn't have been out. It said, Let's fucking find her. Yes. Here's her photo. Here's who you're looking for. Like and they didn't say we should wait 48 hours and see if she comes back. Within no. the first day, they had questioned all her friends, all her relatives, and got her picture on the news. So, okay, people who are telling me that the police department doesn't have time to look for missing children. Do you think there's not crime in Las Vegas? Yeah, exactly. Like they found the resources and the time to do to do the appropriate thing. So for everybody, oh my God, can we please look for people? I don't want to argue about it anymore. <laughs> We'll just point people to this episode. Yeah. So by the end of the second day, the investigator says that they were immediately convinced that Kathy had been abducted. Um, next, the story gets a little strange. Robert Stack says that Kathy's disappearance was a culmination of years of fear and worry for her family because as a child, Kathy had premonitions that she would die at an early age. That's such normal teenage shit, though. Well, here's the other thing. So when Kathy was eight, she began telling her friends and family that she didn't think she would live to 16. However, immediately thereafter, Kathy's mother said she didn't have a good childhood. Her father and I went through a bad divorce when she was eight. Well, maybe that's why she started seeing weird shit. Like, I think I'm going to die at 16. It seemed like she had, like, they even, the reason they moved to Las Vegas is because she had such a crummy childhood that they wanted to start over and start fresh yeah. and for her. I'm like, maybe. Teenagers are morose and more, not yeah. just, just, not just me, a thing I never grew out of. <laughs> Teenagers are, think about death. And think about they do. dying young. And, like, that seems kind of romantic and cool, right? She's reading a lot of romance novels. I think it is a little strange that at eight years old she started saying these things. But the other thing that also happened her, yeah. was in seventh grade, her good friend died of a heart disease. Right. So she... She's Kathy's been mother, touched by that. Yeah, Kathy's mother said that her Kathy and her father had a really close relationship. And it sounded like... He, after the divorce, he was just out of their lives. So, yeah, so maybe she had some unresolved emotional issues that resulted in her being a little bit... Dramatic. Dramatic, or even, you know, maybe suffering from depression. We can't diagnose her, but it seems like they're also, not premonitions, necessarily. No, I just, that's how teenagers talk. Her mom is like Barb from Stranger Things grown up, if you're <laughs> looking for a visual cue. And she just seems like the sweetest... And I wanted to give her a hug, and yeah, it's so heartbreaking. Anyway, Robert Stack tells us that Kathy became despondent and refused to leave her room in the days leading up to her 16th birthday. But then the morning of her 16th birthday, she woke up ple- pleasantly surprised to know that she was still alive, 
and she kind of started getting happier. Robert Stack said that she she wore makeup. She started wearing makeup. Which, what? So she was a normal kid again. Whatever. Um, she also decided then that she wanted to open her own beauty shop called Cat's Cuts. I know. Which is so sweet. It just breaks your heart. I know. The they interview her little sister, which is also really sad. This whole segment's a little depressing. Anyway, all of that premonition stuff seems oh, kind of Oh, I wrote down, I'm going to totally interrupt you and derail you. Go for it. I wrote down, Samantha, did you make a will as a teenager? <laughs> I'm certain that I did. I, I don't, totally don't specifically did. remember what was on it, but I'm, I'm certain I did. I totally did, and it was like insanely specific. <laughs> where it was like, this piece of jewelry goes to, right, like, <laughs> goes to so-and-so. And that, that teenagers are just morose. I, I know. And I know for sure that I had plans with my friends who was going to take my dog if I ever died. Oh. You know? Like, oh. <laughs> and my bird. So I had, we had, okay, all my pets, really. We had a dog, two hamsters, and a bird. And I know for a fact that I wrote down who was going to take all my animals in the event that I died. Like, not that my parents would keep them. Like, my friends were going to get them. <laughs> sure. Yep. I don't know about all my stuff, but probably. Yeah. Because that's how teenagers are. Exactly. Listeners, tell us if you made a will yes. as a child and what was on it. If you have a photo of your teenage bedroom, we want to see yeah, it. Yeah. I wish I had one of mine. I don't I, know that I do. I don't think I do, and I would I would stab someone for it. I know I had, like, Backstreet Boys posters on my wall. <laughs> mine was, you guessed it, The X-Files. Of course. Then I had a Humphrey Bogart phase. Pretty <laughs> typical teenage girl stuff. We would love to hear about your teenage wills. Yes. Please send them to us. We're just weird shit you did as a teenager. <laughs> I would love to hear that, too. <laughs> so the local police department mobilized a huge search. They distributed her photo to every officer and encouraged news stations to continue to run the story of her disappearance, including her photo. Eventually, a clue surfaced. A clerk remembered seeing Kathy in the supermarket that night. Sales reports also confirmed that someone purchased a paperback novel at 11.17 p.m. the night Kathy disappeared. So it does appear that Kathy made it to the store. However, she never made it home. And I love, if the, if the outfit from the reenactment is accurate. It sounded like it was. She was wearing I pink sweatpants and a pink sweatshirt. She had her, her sweatpants tucked into like giant chunky socks <laughs> with the white sneakers. Oh, yeah. We so could, we could have been, I feel like me and Kathy could have been such good friends. I think so, too. Kathy was basically all, my friend group. You stayed up all night reading a book and then went to the store to get another book. Like you weren't out at 11 p.m. doing no doing like, teenage things. Fuck, you were, I finished my book. I need another one. Yeah, like that was me. You were not getting into trouble. You were oh. walking to the store to buy a book. Anyway, nine days later, a hiker named Rick, who also has a nice mustache and a mullet, a mullet. Did, oh, yeah. did you like him for MVM? He might be better than who I picked. We'll see. Uh, there's quite a few mustaches in this episode. I did like that he was searching for unusual rock crystals. Yes. He was looking, searching for unusual rock crystals in the desert when he came upon that a strong odor. the most legit reason for wandering around the desert. It's like, yeah, that is what that guy was doing. <laughs> right? You know, like sometimes people find a body and you're like, well, why were you there? That's suspicious. This guy was like, I was out looking for crystals. And like, yup, you were. That's I when, when I would find a body would be searching for unusual rock crystals. Not just any rock crystals, unusual. <laughs> the only ones worth harvesting. So he decided to investigate an odor, oh. which is when he found Kathy's body. And he described it as the most horrible thing he's ever seen. He actually had to sit down and like think if he was really seeing what he thought he was seeing. I felt bad for him, too. He did. It's traumatic. He then called the police, who arrived already knowing that it was going to be Catherine, and it was... 
The investigator does seem to genuinely care about Catherine, but at one point he says that he wanted to go home, get his daughter, bring her to the site of the body, and say, this is why I say you can't go out late at night. Which yeah, on but one that's hand, not going to stop it. On one hand, I understand his sentiment. On the other hand, walking a block to yeah. the corner store to buy a book this is, is a not... a freak thing. Yeah, it's th- that's not why she got... Like, it's not her fault. This this like, she should be able to walk down the street in her neighborhood to get a book. This is why the world is terrible, is you can't actually... We want to think you can prevent stuff like this from happening, and if you do this certain magical set of things... That you never leave the house after dark. All these things women are told to do, that we are supposed to travel in packs and never wear headphones and never go out never at night. Never wear a and, ponytail. Yeah. All that garbage. Yeah. Always carry an um, I was told to always carry an umbrella. So you can beat off an attacker? <sighs> yeah, because they're less likely to attack you if you're holding... <sighs> You cannot do all of these things all of the time. You have a list by your door of all the things you can't do. Don't go out after dark. Don't wear a ponytail. Don't, you, check, like, you check them off before you leave the house. And then people are like, Liz, you never do anything. Why are you such an introvert? Uh, <laughs> I'm supposed to do all these things to stay safe. Thanks. I'm not supposed to make eye contact with strangers. I'm not supposed to use public transportation. I'm not supposed to... <laughs> I'm supposed to be carrying my keys between my knuckles and <laughs> holding mace in another hand and have a taser in my mouth. And the umbrella. <laughs> and the umbrella. I don't have enough arms for self-defense. You're supposed to remember the self-defense steps on top of that. Ugh. It's ridiculous. And you can't do that. You, the I, the you universe can't... is a chaotic, horrible place. You can't actually prevent bad things from happening. It's superstition to think that you can. Exactly. So I realize that this guy is scared for his daughter, but there's I don't, there's nothing you can do. I know, and presumably his daughter was around Catherine's age, so I understand that he being was like upset by this Holy and wanting to protect your daughter from a similar thing. Anyway, I just no, it's again it's, I'm frustrated oh, by the sentiment that you can't like walk down boy. the street. Well, you should have been a guy <laughs> if you wanted to walk down the street, Samantha. <laughs> That's true. So. Try- <laughs> Tire imprints at the scene show that a vehicle pulled in and out of that spot. There were also two rocks splattered with blood near the body. The blood was Kathy's blood type, and the coroner confirmed that she died from repeated blows to the head. So the interview with Kathy's mom is really upsetting to watch. I would recommend just fast-forwarding through that. It's it's hard. She said that Kathy made it to 16, but not much after that. And she's honestly crying. It's really bad. Basically, she says there's someone out there killing kids, which is true and horrible. Oh, so they also found letters in Kathy's room addressed to each family member that were dated one month before her 16th birthday that were like goodbye letters. Oh, I think this is why I wrote down the thing about the will. I know. Which, I mean, and again, kids are morose. Like, yeah. that also really has nothing. She made it to 16, like, presumably, I don't know. Mm. So then, the most frustrating thing about this whole situation, on October 24th, three months after she disappeared, a man left a message on the police answering machine saying that he saw a man grab a girl outside the store. This infuriated me. He said that... Yeah, he waits two months to call because he's out of town. He said, this was a few months ago. I've been out of town for a few months, but I wrote this down because she was screaming. Are you kidding me? You didn't call the police at the time? You didn't call the police. You didn't get his license plate. You didn't follow him. He said he saw two men grab a girl who was struggling and screaming, throw her in a car and drive off. And he was like, oh, I'll wait a couple months. I'm on vacation. I'm going on vacation. I can't call the police. This man could have saved her life. He could have followed the car, called 911. Don't something, anything. Literally anything. Got the license plate. He could have potentially stopped this. And then the police 
put out multiple pleas for this guy to call them back because he just called the station. He didn't even call 911. He just called the station, left a message, presumably after hours. And they're like, call us back. We need to ask questions. We need. And he described what she was wearing. Like, this seemed really credible. And he never called them back to provide more information. Five listeners. If you ever see two grown men forcing a 16-year-old girl in a car while she's screaming... Call 911. Do me a favor. Don't go on vacation and wait. Call 911. He thought it was suspicious enough that he wrote down the details. Drive your car into their car. Do something. (laughs) So they can't drive away. Start screaming. Start go anything. Anything other than this. Because this makes me want to track down this person and punch them in the face. Yeah, I hope he fell in a hole and never came out. I don't know. Maybe that's why he never called the police station again. Because he's (laughs) stuck in a well. (laughs) Let's hope. Because out of literally, I think out of every person we've seen on Unsolved Mysteries, this person may be the worst. He's the most frustrating. Yeah. For I sure. hate him possibly the most because, yeah, he knew this was, he witnessed an abduction. He waited months to call. I guess it's possible that he was just some prankster. It doesn't but really seem like it, though, from the details. Not really. And... Also, even if you are a prankster, don't do that. Oh, yeah, like, that's terrible. That's also terrible. So, anyway, that was where the segment ended. I wish a, ended. a pox on that person if that's a prank. Yeah, we should make a poppet and hex him. Yes! <laughs> if he's still alive. So, there was an update. Michael Lee Lockhart became a prime suspect in Kathy Hobbs' murder. Lockhart has since been executed. So, I looked up Lockhart on Murderpedia. He was convicted for the capital murder of a police officer named Paul Halsey Jr. in Beaumont, Texas. Husley had followed Lockhart, who was driving a stolen Corvette, to a local hotel. He followed him into the hotel room, and as he was making an arrest, Lockhart punched the officer, grabbed a gun, and shot him. According to a statement later given by Lockhart, he then shot him a second time and fled. During the trial, Lockhart bolted and jumped through a third-story courthouse window. His escape was unsuccessful. Huh. He was also implicated in a series of gruesome offenses during the five months preceding the Texas murder, including the sexual assault, murder, and mutilation of a 16-year-old girl named Wendy Golliger in Griffith, Indiana, on October 13, 1987, and the sexual assault of Lockhart's former wife in Toledo, Ohio, and the sexual assault, murder, and mutilation of a 14-year-old Jennifer Caller in Lando Lakes, Florida. He was suspected of... And I, I looked all over trying to figure out why they suspected him of Kathy's murder, but I it never found it. seems like his type of thing. Maybe he, he was, was in, in the, the area. area. I'm assuming he was in the area, but nothing really said. A lo- most articles focus on the murder he was convicted of, which is the murder of this police officer. Right. Um, he was implicated in the other offenses, but ne- was never charged. He went to death row for the murder of the police officer and was executed. Oh, no. He was convicted of murder and was on death row in Indiana and Florida at the time of his execution in Texas. I, I, this is confusing. But... He was Look, ne- lots of states wanted him dead. Yes. And he eventually was executed in Texas. So it's possible well, that this they, serial killer they is love who, executing people, so. who killed Kathy Hobbs. So. Ugh. That's an awful one. Yep. Also, though, we could have been Kathy Hobbs. <laughs> like, totally. Sort of an introverted child who just wants to sit in her room and read books. Like, yeah. That was I me. I definitely walked to the bookstore. Yeah. To buy yeah. a romance novel? Not to buy a romance novel. Possibly to buy a, a novel all about aliens, though. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. We, we know I don't read romance novels, but <laughs> I read lots of other books. Uh, it was like me going to get the latest 
magazine with Jillian Anderson on the cover and then <laughs> a serial killer to take clippings for me. your scrapbook. Yeah, exactly. Got to work on my scrapbook. And then a serial killer forces me in a car and no one calls for two months. Yeah. That could have been my fate. And then my will, my very detailed will would have come in handy. <laughs> That's true. All right. You got a lost love up next. Yes. So at least this one has a happy ending. So this is Bill Per. Purrington? Purrington. Purring. There's not a G. Okay, Purrington. Robert Stack pronounced it Purrington. I don't know. I watch with the subtitles on. It's not spelled like that, but he okay. said Purrington, which is what I would name a cat if I ever had a cat. Like Sir Bill. Lord, Sir William Purrington. Lord Purrington. Please, if you need to name a cat, name it that. This guy's name was William Purrington. That's what or I would Or Robbie Stacky. That's what I would name a cat. Okay, so Sir Bill Purrington <laughs> was on the search for his sister Jackie. Uh, in this segment, he's 62 years old. He's a retired businessman from New Hampshire, and Jackie is his long-lost sister. Back in 1934, the Harrington family was struggling to survive the Great Depression. Something confusing is that his name used to be Harrington. His name is now Purrington. Yeah, because he wanted a better cat name. <laughs> Harrington so, is like good. We didn't just but... mispronounce it. That's literally what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good point. So the Harrington family was struggling to survive the Depression, they were the only ones. Everyone else did really great. During <laughs> um, so there was, he was one of six children and they were home alone during the day while their parents worked, which I feel like was super fucking common. Also, his older siblings were like watching them. Like, yeah. I don't even think this was that big of a deal. No. It said his neighbors suspected his parents of neglecting the children. I think they just were out trying to make money in the depression and the kids had to stay home. Yeah, I think this was really, really common, and I don't understand why this was taken so seriously. If but, it was anything like the reenactment, they were doing fine. Yeah, so on August 3rd, 1934, the children were throwing a birthday party for Bill and Jackie because they shared a birthday. Um, however, that afternoon, members of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children arrived and took the four youngest children away because neighbors had reported they were being neglected. The reenactment adults in this segment totally look like people that are going to come steal you away from your parents. Yeah, the ca- the they have this very dramatic shot of this black, I don't know, 30s coupe that looks like a car out of Dick Tracy <laughs> pull up very ominously, and then uh-huh. these, like, bitter old women wearing dowdy hats. And a couple guys in suits. Yeah, come out and are going to snatch the children away once the birthday party is done. But they let the kids finish the birthday party first, and they all all the adults stand behind the kids, and the reenactment for this is bizarre. Right, it's weird. Also, the parents are not home. They're at work. Which presumably providing is for their why children. they want and snatch these kids but while the, their parents weren't their there. Their parents don't even get to, like, protest or do any. There's no recourse. Like, it's literally, just, they just show up and take kids, and there's nothing the parents can do. That's kind of what it looked like. It's awful. So they ended up taking four of the children away. Bill was then eight, was the oldest of the four. He, his sister Jackie, and two other siblings were put up for adoption, and they were all placed with different families in New York. After returning from World War II, Bill began searching for his siblings and his parents. He made no progress until 76 when he wrote to a records clerk in New York. And in reply, he got the, he got the address of his older sister, Wanda. And then he was able to track down more siblings except two, Jackie and Ed. In 77, he was able to locate his mother in California, but sadly she had passed away. And he learned that his, do- his father had died in 55. A researcher found his brother, Ed, and on Christmas Eve, the two siblings were put in contact. 
So the as of the airing of this segment, the only person he was still looking for is Jackie. Fortunately, this is solved. After the broadcast, people who had gone to school with Jackie in the 40s and 50s called in. They claimed that she was married and adopted two children, but they didn't know the present whereabouts. And eventually, a local historian named Anita Harrison um, learned through about Bell's search through Unsolved Mysteries. Jackie eventually came, found Anita, who was looking for her, and they were all put back in touch. Yeah, so in 2000, she was reunited. Ja- Jackie was reunited with all of her siblings. So it took a while. It did take a long time. But it does have a happy ending. All I, of the siblings were so happy to be reunited. It was really yeah, sweet. Yeah. There's really not much to it. That's it. That's it. I'm sorry it took so long. And I know. I'm sorry that they were just taken. And it doesn't really seem like they were being neglected. No, they had older siblings that were caring for them. The kids yeah. weren't that young. It's not like they were infants. It makes me think that someone just had a beef with this family. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Or they just thought it was okay to come call someone to take your neighbor's kids away. I don't know. Someone in our book club told this story that she has two children and her neighbor called the police on her because for child neglect. And when the police got there, she was like, yeah, that baby's not wearing a hat. And I didn't see her put sunscreen on. (laughs) I had never heard the story. That's why she called the cops. Oh, my God. What? I would... If this had been... I would have burned down that woman's house and moved. (laughs) Are you kidding? Like, you're going to risk my children being taken away over the... That I might not have put sunscreen on? She just said, I didn't see it. (laughs) Is that a crime? What if you don't believe in sunscreen? I don't know. You can't take someone's kids away from that. It makes me... I think she told this story, like, two years ago, and I still get... Like insanely that makes me angry wanna, when, I, when I think about it. So angry, I just hit my well, it pop make, filter. It makes me want to flip this table. That's horrible. Don't do that. Yeah. People are ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Don't be that nosy, horrible neighbor, everyone. Don't. A lot of life lessons from this episode. Yeah. I'm really eager to tell you what to do. And that's if you see kids getting abducted, call the cops. And But don't call the cops if you see a baby not wearing a hat. That's insane. <laughs> So we have one more mystery in this episode. This is the one that had my mustache pick. And Ooh, exciting. Here's my sketch of the mustache. That <laughs> I wrote pointy. <laughs> Who was that? Was that a cop? This I don't remember it. Yeah. Okay. This was cop Tim something. Okay. I don't remember that, but that's a great sketch. We need to get a photo. I like how you crossed. Was that the volcano sketch from before? No. That See, I was originally going to pick the murderer in this. And I was like, no, he's a dirtbag. So I scratched. I was like, Liz, you are so out of practice. You don't even know how to nominate mustaches. Scratch that mustache out and then draw in the new mustache, which I very helpfully wrote next to pointy. It was, your sketch is pointy. I'll have to go back and look at him. <laughs> so on June 5th, 1988, prosperous businessman Angelo Desideri, okay, vanished from his Phoenix home. Robert Stack tells us that no one knows why. His friends and family think he met with foul play, but some people think Angelo wanted to disappear. So Angelo was a devout Catholic who once wanted to enter the priesthood. Robert Stack tells us that he lived in a quiet he lived a quiet, routine existence with his parents in a Phoenix suburb. I don't think he lived in the same house as his parents, as we'll see later. I think he just yeah. lived in the same town. It was very strange. Why did they emphasize? Okay, here's my question about this yes. portrayal of... Do you have questions about this portrayal? Yes, I do. I did as well, and I have answers for you at the end. Okay. Because I think a- you're probably wondering, 
what happened to this guy when he seemed like a homely shut-in? No, that's not my question. What's your question? My question is, so they kept emphasizing that he's very, very neat. Oh, yeah, like he had obsessive compulsive disorder or something. I was wondering if they were trying to say he was gay in an 80s way. (laughs) I I paused because I was thinking, they did emphasize that he had never been married. They kept being like... He was fastidiously neat, and he lived alone with his parents, and he owned a store, and he didn't <laughs> enter the priesthood. And I was like, am I supposed to be interpreting this to say he's gay? Maybe. I That never crossed my mind, but now that you mention it. They've just brought up that he was neat so often, I just kind of thought of that Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but go I, on. I thought that they were emphasizing it because... Did he have OCD? Yeah, because he, he maybe had OCD or something. I don't know. Huh. Anyway. Okay. Go on. His friend named Steve described him in a very odd way. He said that Angela was very ordered, very neat individual, and yeah, he emphasized neat several times. And that sort of, I just felt like he was winking a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. That could be, I should rewatch the segment to see if I get that, that vibe. He said that Angela was a perfectionist, just a perfectionist in every true sense of that word. Wink. Wink. I, that could have been. Do you think Steve and Angela were kind of more than friends? Now that you say it, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get that feeling at all, but Liz did. (laughs) So Robert Stack tells us that Angelo built a small fortune out of hard work. He had several friends, but never married. Angelo enjoyed an affluent lifestyle, which he supported by owning a shopping center and an import store. The morning of June 6th, a neighboring shop owner noticed that Angelo's store was closed up when it should have been open for business. Angelo's friend, Steve, who we mentioned before, drove to his home to see if anything was wrong He noticed that the alarm wasn't going off, which made him suspicious for some reason, and he called the police. Okay, sure. Angela was nowhere to be found. There was food out as though he had been interrupted while preparing lunch. His lunch seemed like it sucked, by the way. Yeah, it was asparagus and a pot of boiling water (laughs) and bread. (laughs) Yuck. I would have run away, too. I do love asparagus, but first of all, I don't boil it. Second of all, just that and bread? I don't know. So they were also bills out on the table as if he had been preparing to pay for them or pay them. And there was a pair of pants and a shopping bag with a receipt from the previous day. The detective says if we could just find out why he left in such a hurry, it would give us a clue as to where Angelo is. So it does seem like they're already operating under the assumption that he left on his his own free will. Yeah, which that seems weird to me because who would do that in the middle of making their lunch? I have no idea. Also in the garage, they found Angelo's car cover crumpled on the ground, but Angelo was compulsively neat, as Robert Stack says, and always folded it. Wink, (laughs) wink. I mean... I like that that could be evidence. His crumpled car cover? It's like, oh, he would never do that. Like, no one will ever say that about me. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) If... If you find my car cover, which I don't have a car cover, but if I were to ever start covering my car, fold it in a corner, that's when you know something happened to me. Because I would never do that shit. I would just throw <laughs> it to you, the side. If you come in here and the bed is like really well made. Something I, is up. I didn't do that. <laughs> that's a cover Are up Are right all there. my clean clothes folded and in a dresser instead of just in a laundry basket pile? Suspicious. Suspicious. <laughs> Uh, Angelo's neighbors that he had seen Angelo's Cadillac. His fucking nosy neighbor that was like, uh, he didn't stop to talk to me, so it was very suspicious. <laughs> yeah. He said he saw the Cadillac speed off the Sunday Angelo disappeared. 
he didn't get a good look at the person in the car, but it appeared to be taller than Angelo, and it wasn't like him to pull out without acknowledging him. Whatever. Rude. He didn't acknowledge his neighbor. I don't know. It could have been weird. I mean, I waved to my neighbors if I see him. It seemed like their houses were right next to each other. Yeah. He was out, like, in his garden or something. I just thought it was a hilarious comment, but if the car, like, suddenly took off very quickly and was not the way he usually acted, then, yeah, that is suspicious. Mm -hmm. But for him to be like, uh, he didn't wave. (laughs) It's just a little rude. Yeah. So at 6.30 a.m. Monday morning, Angelo's car was found burning 400 miles from Phoenix in a San Diego parking lot. An accelerant was used to light the car on fire. They seemed to think that the car had been washed right before it was burned because it was spotless on the outside. There was no bugs or dirt from the 400-mile no journey. No bugs! I just thought maybe there wasn't a lot of bugs out. He seemed like he legitimately could have had OCD. Like, he probably washed his car all the time. He kept it covered in Phoenix. Like, in Indoors. Yeah, in a garage. Like... Of course it was spotless. I mean, I guess a 400-mile journey is a long ways, There but... were no bugs. Where'd the bugs go? <laughs> the guy was like, I've never seen someone wash a car before burning it in my career. I'm like, I think his car was just always clean. I don't know. That didn't seem like evidence to me of the fact that Angelo had washed... I don't know. It was very strange. So also the padding from the trunk was missing, which the investigator said could indicate that something was transported inside the trunk and had been then wrapped up in the padding and removed as one. I just wrote down, like a body? I mean, that seems like... something, anything. Oh, yeah, like him. (laughs) Like Angelo. Like Angelo. (laughs) Angelo's sister said that Angelo disappeared with almost nothing. No toothbrush, no clothes. The only items they discovered missing were Angelo's attache case, which we, we know what that is, thanks to Robert Stack. <laughs> Some jewelry and money. She also says that... Oh, the only things missing were things you would steal. Yeah, in a robbery. Strange. But Got he must have just left. He must have just left. She also says that she cannot conceive of her brother burning his prized Cadillac, which... Yeah, that's why would you burn any car? I don't know. Of course. So He the, was a super neat dude who lit his own car on fire. <laughs> Yeah, his prized fancy Cadillac. So the What an po- old man thing to have, a prized fancy Cadillac. Aw, adorable. It is. So the police retraced the trip back to Phoenix, stopping at gas stations along the way, but no one matching Angelo's description had been seen, and Angelo's credit cards had not been used at any of them. No gas was purchased, no car washes, although I suppose he could have used cash. The police also checked every car wash in San Diego because they were convinced that he had washed his car when he got to San Diego, but no one recognized Angelo. Two witnesses did see the car right before it was torched. Both said that they saw a man who resembled Angelo, but neither one could conclusively identify him. That's where the episode ended. They were trying to figure out what happened to Angelo. There is he an, was murdered. Yeah, there's an update. On March 15th, police charged local resident Joe Cayo with Kahlo, Kahlo, with conspiracy Kahlo. to commit armed robbery and burglary on Angela Desideri. Kahlo was a friend and business associate of Angelo and had been uh, had detailed information concerning his disappearance. Kahlo claimed that he received this information from a man named James Majors, a man who worked with Kahlo in construction. Kahlo said that Majors went to Angelo's home, rang the doorbell, asked for wa- a glass of water, and once inside, he robbed Angelo at gunpoint and forced him into the car. Somewhere between Phoenix and San Diego, Majors murdered Angelo and placed his body in the trunk. Kahlo said that Majors stopped to buy a pick and shovel. He then went out into the desert and buried Angelo under a large tree. Then, Kahlo says, Majors stopped and gave the pick and shovel to some poor people who lived in a shack. 
Call I was wondering how they found the people for that reenactment. Because they show a guy handing off a pick and shovel to these, like, people that look like they're from the Dust Bowl. It's like the Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> really did. I'm I like, mean, who are these people and where is this house? What is, what is happening? Yeah, it really did. Uh, Kahlo also claims that items in a storage locker owned by majors would trace back to Angelo. Kahlo was given multiple life sentences for Angelo's murder and six other contract killings. He died in prison. Majors was sentenced to death for three other murders. So this is where I, things didn't quite add up for me and what I thought you were talking about when you said you had questions. Like, who? Oh, you thought I had more reasonable questions. I see. So in the show, they portray Angelo as an unassuming guy with OCD who lived in a boring, rich suburb of Phoenix. And I was like... He did seem like a Why was there boring, a contract out to kill him? An incredibly boring person having boiled asparagus yeah. for lunch. Who was this Kahlo guy? So the Unsolved Mysteries wiki had some answers and okay. some additional information Good. that was left out of the show. According to Kahlo, he and Majors had been hired to murder Angelo on the orders of Romano Sproca. Uh-huh. S-B-R-O-C-C-A. No, you said it right. You said it right. It's good. <laughs> a known drug trafficker. According to him, Angelo sold drugs and kept records for a drug trafficking operation run by the Sporka guy and another man. He was apparently killed because he wanted to get out of the crime ring. Kala was convicted of Angelo's murder and six other contract killings. The other killings were also related to this crime ring. He received life in prison and died in 2010. Majors, who was never charged with Angelo's murder, received the death penalty for a triple murder in California. He died on January 26, 2017. It is unknown if the Sporka guy was ever charged in the case. Interestingly, Majors has allegedly been connected to the death of Jean Tovra, a Phoenix socialite who was mur- whose murder was also profiled in Unsolved Mysteries. I don't think we've gotten huh, to that one yet. Interesting. Um, however, he was never charged in that case either. So hmm. apparently Angelo was involved in this drug trafficking ring. Oh, He I wasn't see. just a boring old guy living with his Cadillac in his parents' hometown. It was a good cover, though. It was. Which, I don't know why they left that out of the show. Like, they're not, they don't usually shy away from things like that. They left out the actual, like, crime like, this, and mystery of it. Yeah, this guy just wanted to be a priest and wanted to live a shut-in life. I guess they wanted you to feel sympathetic for him, I'm assuming. I I don't know. It's, it's very strange that they left that out. But that's why there was a contract out to kill him and why he ended up being murdered by this Kahlo guy who claimed it was Majors, but it seems like people saw through that. Hmm. Interesting. Yep, that was it. Okay. A lot of true crime in this one. I, I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, let's rate the episode. Okay. So, mysteriousness. Hmm. It was fairly mysterious. The first yeah. one's still unsolved. Uh, why was Robert Stack in front of a fountain for that fourth mystery? That's a... I'm not really sure. That's mysterious. Um, yeah, I guess I give it a thumbs up for mysterious. Yep, I think it was pretty mysterious. Uh, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the true crime stuff. Uh, uh, uh. Reenactments. Oh, I liked the reenactments. I really liked them too. They actually, they burned an actual Cadillac for that last that one. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Which must be a pretty big production. Some old man is so sad. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. That could have been his car. I know. No, he could have fixed it up when he retired. The reenactments of Kathy's teenage life. 
was awesome. I loved the saxophone sex workers because it's just so 80s. That was very 80s. The Las Vegas Strip, the yeah. shots of that with the, the 80s. They had the shot of Kathy walking to the store, which I I feel like must have been done on a crane or a top of a building where she's sort of like, she's walking to the store, but the camera like zooms more and more out and she becomes almost like a dot of like her going missing. This was before drones, so that must have been a pretty complicated shot to get. Yeah. So I give it a thumbs up for reenactments. Thumbs up for reenactments. I I enjoyed the fashion as well. Yes. Yes, Angelo's sister had some sick glasses. I loved her glasses. She kind of looks like Janine from Ghostbusters or something. She's got like a sassy, short, spiky, silver haircut and then giant pink. I loved it. Yeah. Um, Kathy's outfits were great. They really, it was kind of a snapshot of teenage life. I really, really related to her and I'm sad me and Kathy didn't get to become friends. I know. So thumbs up for me for fashion. Absolutely. Robert Stack's outfits, his look. Meh. Looking sharp. He did look sharp. I we could give him a thumbs up just because I feel like every time I go, who cares? <laughs> he a does pity thumbs up. I guess. I enjoyed the shots of him in the police station. Oh yeah. Those, those were, were really good. good. There was also an odd shot of him like in front of a long dark corridor, which was kind of yeah. spooky. I enjoy I got a I got a shot of that. Moody, for I don't really get the fountain thing, but the fountain, um the fountain thing was weird. I agree. They're just like, look, over there is a fountain, we'll shoot there. That's what it seemed to be. Probably. We need, they're like, we need a new location. Yeah. We can't have them stand by these columns and train stations all the time. <laughs> so out of Robert Stacks, what do you think? I would give it a three. I'm like a 3.5. I really yeah. enjoyed the true crime stories. We don't often get so much true crime in Unsolved Mysteries. There were two summaries of previous cases in this there was episode. A, yes, there was a lot of that. Which makes me rate it down a little bit. because I fast forwarded through those. If you're watching this, just you're going to get an update on the... Arthur Frankfort case, the mm-hmm. the boring heart attacker case. And is it who's the other one? It's the Rogers um, Kane? No. No, it's the boxcar family. Oh, I yes, forget. the Christmas one. Yes, the Christmas one that I loved, but they basically show the whole they segment show again. again. So they could have cut all that out and gave us another mystery. Yeah. So that that's true. That brings it down a little. So I'm going to say three. It's a solid episode. It's not my favorite episode, but there's some good cases in there. Yeah, you convinced me to go with the three out of five. Robert I Stacks. wish it just didn't have those weird summaries in that. MVM, we're going to have to post a couple mustaches on Instagram because I don't know that we decided. Yeah. Um, I, I think you might be right about the mullet. Rock Should I show dude. you the, the um, guy from the parking lot? Yes, I have please. a picture on my phone, and I just think it's really funny. Look at his face. <laughs> I mean, that might be how I, that might be how I look if I find a dead body. I suppose, like his mustache isn't that great, but I thought the whole scene was funny. Yeah, it's a very good screenshot. I often judge mustaches based on like the the context. <laughs> you so like maybe a, I should get away from that. A presentation? No, I, I just I, I, I love his bandana and his. Those like, are your. Bom- he's wearing a bomber jacket. Like that's what you wear to go to work as a groundskeeper. I forgot about the. <laughs> Very bright red bandana that he's wearing <laughs> over his entire head like a pirate. Um, yeah, he might have to win just for that, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. Because mine is not that great. The reason I picked it was because it was a cotton ma- mustache, but it's like a little different. It's like a variation on the cotton mustache. The pointy cotton mustache. Yes. So that's why I picked it, but I kind of like your pirate groundskeeper. <laughs> he does look like a pirate. Arr, better. <laughs> we'll post them both on Instagram. Yeah, Follow us can, on Instagram and perhaps it's you. Choose. So do you have a recommendation? The first recommendation of 2018? Oh, now I feel all this pressure. <laughs> so I'm going to do something 
a little bit different okay. for the recommendation this week. I alluded to this earlier. Samantha has a slight idea what I'm doing. But um, we don't talk a lot about music on the podcast. Well, because it's not a music podcast. But also, talking to Samantha about music is like talking to me about sports. <laughs> yeah, you a, don't get very It's far. just a total waste of time. So, um, I really like... This is kind of new. I think this came out in 2016. This is new for me. Because... I listen to basically music from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. I'm a very nostalgic person. <laughs> I don't think anybody is... Yeah, I, I'm sure I just blew your mind with that one. But I really like an album that came out by the band Choir Boy called Passive with Desire, which if you... I, we're not going to play any of it. I don't want to violate their copyright. I'll put a... It's on YouTube. I'll put a link on Facebook if you're interested in a listen. It has a very post-punk synth wazy sound so even nice. though it's new you're not gonna you, you won't be surprised that I'm, <laughs> this is something that i'm listening to uh i love it i think it's beautiful um and i ended up with two copies of this final record so we decided we're gonna give one away even though it has nothing to do with unsolved mysteries really but i feel like if you like music on unsolved mysteries you might like this music oh yeah it's sad sack music for sure because that's the type of music that i listen to when I'm sad, it comforts me, and when I'm in a good mood, it makes me feel better. <laughs> sad music is the best. Um, so we're going to do a giveaway. Yes. We're going to post, by the time you hear this, I will post on Facebook a picture of Robbie Stacky <laughs> holding this album. If you would like to win it, you just have to like that picture and then stroke our egos by commenting, what is your favorite thing about the podcast? <laughs> and that will yes. enter you to bring this record you will also get their seven-inch single for the band Sunday Light will be included. I realize that's a little odd, has kind of not really anything to do with Unsolved Mysteries, but... But you really enjoy this band and would like to maybe get them some new fans, and this yeah. is a way to do it. So we're promoting a band that you enjoy and some music that you like, and yeah, check them out. Check them out. Um, they're from Salt Lake City. I think it's really good, and um, I feel like I had something else to say about that, but... If you, you know, have a turntable or you're getting a record player or you just might get one in the future, <laughs> enter our giveaway. Or you can just display it. Yeah. Because it's got some vampire dudes on the front. So <laughs> If that um, goes with your decor. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to add that this is open. If you're international, you can open. You can still enter. I'll send it to you. I'm happy to go to the post office and fill out the form. There just might be tariffs or duties on your end. That won't be covered because I won't know what that is. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but we're, we'll, we'll send it to you for free. Because we got a lot of international listeners. So if you're that one we person. Have, we have at least one person in Australia. If you're that one person in Australia, enter. I will send this to you. Sean. Hi, Sean from Australia. Hi, Sean. <laughs> I actually know his name. You're he eligible. supports us on Patreon. Thanks, you're, Sean. El- you're eligible to win this record Heck if you yeah. would like it. Anyway, that's my recommendation is Choir Boy, Passive with Desire. If you want to pretend that it is the early 80s forever, even with new music, this record is for you. Perfect. Which, who Ta-da! doesn't? <laughs> so I have like a New Year's resolution-esque oh, yeah. recommendation. It's a phone app. So I am like most people, I spend too much time on my phone. Sure. And it keeps me from doing other things that I enjoy, such as reading books or, I don't know, doing whatever. So I recently discovered the app Forest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know about this. I- in another podcast, Ono, Ross, and Carrie, which I love, Carrie Poppy, one of the hosts, 
recommended this app in an episode or mentioned it, and I decided to check it out. It's very simple. You just put the app to, you grow a tree, a virtual tree. So you put the app, you set it to grow, and then for however long, if you're away from the app, you get like virtual coins. It's kind of like a game. So I've been setting it for 30 minutes at a time, usually, or sometimes an hour, and I'll so go the and game I'll read. Is how long can you not touch your phone? Exactly. Okay. And I've really enjoyed and and you get coins for however whenever you're successful. And if you get enough like virtual money, you can grow a real tree. So oh. they, they partner with an organization that grows trees around the world. That's so nice. And so yeah, you contribute to a good cause. You can kind of see how many trees people have grown by participating in the app. You can also like have friends and like have little competitions and stuff, I think. Um I've really enjoyed it. It's really um got me away from some <laughs> But how, I, Samantha, I, I need time. to be able to bug you at all times. I mean, I don't spend that much time away from my phone, let's be honest. <laughs> I, apparently, on the Android version, I have an iPhone, you can whitelist apps. So if you leave the app, but you go to a, an app that you've whitelisted, you you don't get as many points, but you get some. Oh, okay. Because in the iPhone, if you go away from the app, you immediately lose, and like you don't sure. get as much coins or whatever. So, I mean, I guess you can cheat if you have the Android phone and, like, make your text message or Twitter or something on the white... Sure. Put it on the whitelist, and you could... I don't know how that works. I don't have one. But um, I do kind of wish that the app would allow you to just set it to start, and then however much time you do it... It's kind of like you have to set it to 60 minutes, and if you get to 59 minutes and accidentally close your app, then you lose. Oh, uh, okay. But I overall, I like it, and I like the fact that it actually helps... Yeah. the world by growing trees, trees in areas where they need trees. Um, so you're doing a little bit of good and you're also kind of trying to stay. It's like a little encouragement. To yeah. For get, the most part, I, less screen time. I disagree with people who say like, we're on our phones too much and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's a detriment to society. Cause I think technology is great and it connects us and everyone should have the ac- access to the internet. But myself personally, I feel like I spend too much time just mindlessly scrolling through Twitter sure. and making myself angry by reading like there's political like a, tweets. There's a balance to it, right? So, like, is our cell phones the downfall of society? No. no. Would I have met Samantha without the internet? Exactly. No, we wouldn't even be making a stupid podcast if it wasn't for the internet. <laughs> we met on Facebook, so thanks, Facebook. Yeah, um, but... Also, sometimes, are you just procrastinating? Am I constantly just, like, looking at Facebook or Twitter, hoping there's something new because I don't want to go do my laundry? Yes. Or do I just feel, like, feed my rage at society by looking at political (laughs) tweets on Facebook? Yes. Yes. And then going, why did did I do that? That now I don't – where do I direct this rage now? Exactly. Now I'm just angry, alone in my house, furious, (laughs) wondering if mankind is even worth saving. Yeah, exactly. Or if it's good, the world's going to explode because we don't deserve it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm finding that I'm slightly happier in 2018 from spending slightly less time doing that. There's other apps, too, you don't have to use for it. So I think there's all kinds of other ones. I just like it because it grows a real tree somewhere. and Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I don't and know. you like plants. Yeah, I like plants. Exactly. Yeah. I have a small second recommendation that I oh, want to... Yeah. It's actually sort of a plug. If your New Year's resolution is also to read more books and you're in the Twin Cities area, we like went public with our book club that we mentioned before. Um, we're, yes, come. You can hang out with us. Yeah, you can come meet us if you're in the Twin Cities area. We're not strict about having read the book. Like no. You can show up and have not read it. And have just I usually only read out. half of the book? Yes. 
Yeah. I'm always about half a lookout behind. So that's fine. That's fine. You can like our Facebook page. We're Twin Cities True Crime Book Club. So you can find us by searching Twin Cities True Crime Books. And it's a public page. We have a public event. We've always been open to everyone, but previously we organized through a private Facebook group. So if you didn't know about the group and weren't in it, you never knew you about this. You couldn't know. Yeah. We're free and open to everyone. We're hoping to read some new releases this year. I saw that you had posted one um, on the Facebook page yes. today. I want to read that book about the Golden State Killer. Yes. Which looks really good. And it's yeah. not out yet, but it's coming out, right? Yes, I believe so. We're also going to read, I hope, Harold Schechter's new book about Belle Gunness. It's coming out in April. Oh, yeah. Hell's Princess looks really good. Um, there is a book that came out, I think, last year that's actually fiction, but it's based on the Lizzie Borden axe murders that I really want to read, and I think we might put on the schedule. I hope, yeah, I would like to do at least one novel. We did a novel, um, in December of this year, and we really enjoyed it. It's nice to break off all the true horrible things that have happened with a little fiction. We don't read strictly books about murders. Last year, we read a book about the Dilatov past That's actually my favorite one that we read. Which was my favorite book club meeting it was so funny it's more of like a paranormal kind of mystery yeah. type situation and we had so much fun laughing about that book and that that was that my mystery. favorite one that we read yeah it was my favorite one too so we break it up there's a book that came out i think last year as well about plagues that i might put oh. on the schedule that looked really good okay i saw it on, on a list on npr um so yeah if you're in the twin cities area you can also just like our page if you want to follow what we're reading and get some suggestions yeah. We read a lot of books that I don't think are usually featured in book clubs. So, because we're cooler, because we're way cooler, so we have a way better book club. Twin Cities True Crime, even though book club Mike and not Josh affiliated. tried to make fun of us for having a book club meeting, like we were old ladies. <laughs> well, when you think of book clubs, I think you think of a different demographic. But everyone who comes to our book club is relatively young and cool and awesome, way cooler than we are. Let's, let me just say that. Oh, that's definitely true. Hi, so. Jeanette. Yes. I'm <laughs> probably not listening. Jeanette but. is the coolest. <laughs> everyone who's come to our book club meetings have been awesome. And like I said, we're open to everyone. So if you're in the Twin Cities area and you just want to hang out with some cool people or maybe meet us. Because I know we have some local listeners, so I wanted to plug it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Read some books, people. Yeah. That's and all I have. I'm just going to, in honor of Megan, our resident librarian, I'm going to remind you. I'm. This is, I suppose, my New Year's resolution for the year is to actually remember to use my library card. Yes. I go just, to the library. I just fought for a library card, and damn it, I'm going to use it. <laughs> because, you know, maybe you don't want to buy 12 books this year for book club. That can add up. Understandable. You can get a lot of this stuff from your library, and if they don't have it, you can request it, and they'll they'll probably order it for you. If you Also, if you like listening to audiobooks but find them really expensive, most libraries have at least yes. one. Some have multiple apps where you can download audiobooks and ebooks. That's right. actually why I had to fight for my new library card. Our new house is confusingly in two different cities. Like it's in one, like our mailing address is one city, but it's located in a different city. So the librarians didn't believe me that I was in their county and I had to like find property tax records to prove to them because they have a really good app at their in their library system and I wanted it. So you're like, I'm getting my library card. No, that's totally worth fighting for. The Absolutely. apps are really good. So I highly recommend if you don't want to spend so much money on ebooks and audiobooks, get a library card, you guys. Yeah. It's free. You can it's get great. Tons of stuff for free. You can check out movies. You can go steal music. I don't just tell you Maybe that. Maybe your but... library has a recording studio and you can start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe if you live anywhere near the Brooklyn Park Library in Minnesota, that, that thing is a fucking palace. That library is awesome. That's where we recorded our first episode and also has just an amazing children's section with this like giant light bright wall and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. It's unbelievable. Libraries are great, you guys. Libraries. You probably already know this, Libraries. But. You know, sometimes you just forget because it's a resource that we take for granted, I think. I agree. So, um, you know, if there's a... Something that you can vote on in your town for more tax money to go for libraries, always do it. Yes, they always. Need it and they have, they'll give you free audiobooks. How can you not like that? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening, you guys. Check us out on iTunes. Give us a five out of five Robert Stacks rating if we, you feel so inclined. We only accept five star reviews, so it's five stars or just don't bother. <laughs> Uh, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at Twitter, and Twitter at Perhaps It's You. If you are going to email us a photo of your teenage bedroom, it is Perhaps It's You podcast at gmail.com. You can support the show on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash Perhaps It's You. Maybe if you donate, we'll make you a poppet. Yeah. Why not? Learn, maybe our New Year's resolution could be learn how to knit and we'll knit a poppet. Maybe. We Don't will. count on that happening because it's it, probably not. You know, you can make poppets out of anything. So A piece of paper. A felt poppet. <laughs> I don't know. Um, is this the year we become witches? Hopefully. Liz is considering Maybe. It. If I can, why, why not achieve my childhood dream? Why not? Why not? Now that we're very successful. You're an adult. You can do what you want. Very successful podcasters. Hell Yeah. We've already achieved that dream. What, what dreams are we going to achieve in 2018? The number one uh, podcasters in the world. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. We're yeah. on We're on a list somewhere. In my and I'm mi- sure it's good. In my mind. <laughs> That's all we have all right, for you. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>